0: This episode was pre recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on polyamory and open relationships. I am Dr. Donnelly Snipes and I will be leading your discussion today. This Presentation is based in part on Franklin View's site and writings, morethantwo.com. It's also based on what psychology professionals should know about polyamory by Jerry Weitzman and perceptions of primary and secondary relationships in polyamory by Rhonda N. Balazzarini. There are also a lot of other studies and research articles that I cite through he- throughout this. But to give you an idea of kind of where you can start, if you work with couples who are polyamorous, I strongly suggest reading the What Psychology Professionals Should Know About Polyamory as your primer. I would start there. And then I would go to F- Franklin View's site, More Than Two, where he d- talks from a first-person perspective of what it's like to be in a polyamorous relationship and some of the challenges that might exist. Trigger warnings and cautions. The following presentation involves frank discussions about sexuality. While not graphic, some of the content might be triggering for some people. This series is meant to provide an overview to help clinicians understand polyamory, but is by no means all-inclusive. It's designed to increase awareness of common issues and help clinicians identify areas where they may need further training. I was... Corresponding with a clinician um, recently that indicated that she estimates that somewhere between 10 and 15% of her current client base is polyamorous, which is higher than the numbers I'm going to give you here. But that just gives you an idea about what percentage of your particular client population might be polyamorous in some way, shape, or form. In this presentation, we'll explore the difference between polyamory and open relationships, real quick. Learn some of the reasons people may choose a poly relationship. Explore the prevalence of polyamory. And explore some of the many polyamorous relationship structures, as well as some of the challenges that may come up and some things that we as clinicians can do to help people who are in polyamorous relationships. We'll start out with polyamory versus open, because there's a lot of confusion about the difference between the two. An open relationship is where one or both partners have a desire for sexual relationships outside of each other. Polyamory is about having intimate, loving relationships with multiple partners. In polyamory, the whole point is to fall in love with multiple people, and there's not necessarily a relationship hierarchy. So why do people try to be polyamorous? Sometimes there's differences in sexual orientation that can be anywhere from you know their general sexual orientation being um, bisexual homosexual heterosexual whatever Differences in sexual desire anything from asexual to very sexual Ability to allow relationships to form organically whatever those may be so instead of putting a label on everything it is what it is it's a it's a relationship and does it have to be boyfriend girlfriend or husband wife getting away from those labels and titles that tend to lean toward a mononormative culture in a polyamorous relationship there's more love and companionship think about families where there's eight children you know we don't say oh my gosh there's not enough love to go around for eight children we think wow how much love must be in that household there can be a lot of communication and occasionally a lot of chaos but there's also a lot of love to go around because they're there for one another. Polyamorous relationships allows people to have physical and emotional closeness with different people who meet different needs. Sometimes you'll fall in love with somebody who meets certain needs like safety and structure or whatever, but then you need somebody who stimulates your intellectual needs or that you're more attracted to sexually or whatever. So there may be different needs that one person just can't fit every single role. You can't really be everything to anybody. Most people need a little bit of uh, additional stuff. Now, whether that comes in the form of another relationship or just friendships, that depends on the person. There's a greater depth of social relationships with polyamory because you have different levels. You have, you know, your casual friends, and then you have people who are, part of your family. Think about them like you would say this is your uncle or your aunt, even if it's not somebody who's blood-related. It's somebody who is true to that family, somebody who is part of that family. In a poly, they may call them mom. You know, there may be multiple moms or dads. That's okay. It's whatever people choose for their nomenclature. There could be a relationship that's polyamorous due to power dynamics, and it's there's more of a BDSM sort of tone to it where the dominant is the head of household and there are multiple submissives in the, in the relationship. They can choose it because they want to create a chosen family, whatever that means to people. It could be because of sexual excitement and or fulfillment. We've talked a lot over the past few weeks about kink and BDSM and how some people are not on the same page. Some people enjoy certain activities, others don't. It doesn't mean that these two people don't emotionally love each other. It doesn't mean that these two people don't necessarily have good vanilla sex. It just could mean that one partner also has these desires for kinky sex or kinky activities that their primary partner doesn't. Polyamorous relationships may allow them to form a bond with somebody who can help fill those needs and that would be what's called a secondary Sometimes and we're going to talk about the difference in hierarchical and non-hierarchical Polyamorous relationships in a little bit Another reason to be poly is because of distance when partners live in separate parts of the world for part or all of the time think about your celebrities who are off on a shoot for six months somewhere, or soldiers who are, you know, over in Afghanistan or deployed or something for six months or a year. Now, polyamory is part of ethical non-monogamy or consensual non-monogamy, which means you're not doing this while your partner's away, you know, hoping that he or she doesn't find out. It's a very open relationship where there has been discussions and likely contracts formed in order to make sure that everyone's getting their needs met and there's a clear understanding of what's happening. Some people get into polyamorous relationships for financial stability, for logistics, because there's multiple people to provide for childcare, household chores, various skills. One partner may be unable to have sex with their primary partner. Maybe they were in a accident and they are paraplegic, but they don't want their partner to be, have to go without Sex in that form and fashion, yes, there are lots of ways that people who are paraplegic can satisfy a partner. Don't get me wrong, but in some relationships, having traditional sex, if you will, may be important to one partner. If they're in a relationship and you know, all of a sudden one partner falls in love with someone else but wants to remain in their current relationship, sometimes it's because. The initial relationship, maybe they were high school sweethearts or something, they fell in love, they got married, they had kids, and then they fell out of love and they grew in two different directions. But the kids are there and they want to maintain that stability for the children, but they also want to be happy. So they may bring in, and I use the term bring in loosely, they may establish relationships with other people to to fulfill those needs that aren't being met in the primary relationship anymore. And this, again, is something that is discussed with, the, with their partner. It's, it's consensual, it's ethical, it's, it's all out in the open. Now, whether they bring in the other people in the poly relationship, bring them into the household, that's up to the individuals involved. They may choose to have their polyamorous partners live elsewhere, or they may choose to bring it all in one. In a polyamorous relationship, it's often referred to as a family, but these families can have very different structures. Some people get into polyamorous relationships in order to have one or more of their emotional, intellectual, or sexual needs met and recognizing that, you know, I love you, my primary, whatever. However, I recognize that you can't meet every single one of my needs, but this is a need I have to be happy. Some people are poly to release themselves from the expectation that one must meet all of their primary partner's needs. So this is the other person saying, you know what, I know I can't meet all of your needs, and I want you to be happy, so go ahead. There could be a desire to remain in a long-term relationship for the benefits of child rearing, for fun, novelty, excitement, escape. You can see that the reasons are endless. The question we really want to ask is, are you okay with a poly relationship? and asking our clients, does this feel okay to you? Four to five percent of American relationships fall into some category of consensual non-monogamy. So, like I said, I was telling you about a client or a person that I was working with who indicated that 10 to 15 percent of her caseload were involved in some sort of non-monogamous relationships. Which brings me to the point that and, and we're going to get there in a little while, polyamory, consensual non-monogamy, whatever you want to call it, does not cause necessarily prob- the problems in the relationship. It can be something out there. I mean, Jane may have clinical depression, whether or not she's in a polyamorous relationship, but that's going to come out in the assessment and those sorts of things. So it's important for us to be accepting of it. Polyamory does, in some cases, cause or create certain obstacles for people to navigate, which can also bring them to counseling, which is why I think the percentage of people in counseling who are in polyamorous relationships is higher than the percentage of people that we are finding in our random sampling of just people in the general public. The UGov survey indicated that 17% of persons between 18 and 44 had participated in some sort of sexual activity with their partner's consent. And 50% of the people interviewed said that their ideal relationship would have some form of consensual non-monogamous flexibility. According to this article by Balazzarini, there are more consensual non-monogamous relationships within the LGBTQ community as compared to the heterosexual mononormative community. Um, You know, I don't, That's just a stat that I'm taking. I don't know whether that's true or false in your area. Non-monogamy or polyamory has been around since biblical times. If you look in the Old Testament, there are many of the leaders in the Old Testament, Solomon, David, they had multiple wives and multiple concubines. If you look around the country, there are more than 83% of countries, I believe, endorse polyamory. Now, generally, it's one husband with multiple wives. However, that is a polyamorous structure. Polyamory relationship styles allow people to openly conduct multiple sexual and or romantic relationships simultaneously. Now, in this, it can be, like I said, sexual and or romantic. A polyaffective relationship is one that's emotionally intimate among people connected by a polyamorous relationship So you may have someone who has an emotional affair or it's not really an affair in in polyamory an emotional connection With some other person in addition to their primary and that's a poly polyamorous relationship There can be an individual such as I, I will call this person the head of household with multiple primaries that interact so You know, one person can be sort of the center, and each primary interacts with this person, the head of household, but not necessarily so much with each other. And they're all okay with that. In a triad, three people are usually in an equally committed relationship, so they kind of get into it together. Sometimes you'll see triads that start out as a primary, and then somebody else is brought in consensually to make a triad. Hierarchical polyamorous relationships are when there is a primary couple, and then everybody else that's brought into the relationship after that is considered a secondary. That's often how it works. A lot of times, polyamory the couple starts out in a monogamous relationship and figures out this isn't really working for them, so then they branch out and become aware of polyamory. And then start bringing other people in. But this primary couple has more history, has more connection, and often is married. So they may have, you know, more legal ramifications, if you will, than other people in the relationship. The primary plus is when primary relationship partners each explore other relationships. So they can be, you know, the one partner can be exploring these relationships, the other partner can be exploring these relationships. And The secondary relationships that are being explored don't necessarily interact You can have polygamy or group marriage, which is a form of marriage consisting of more than two persons now polyamory is not illegal Polygamy in many states in the u.s. Is illegal so do be aware of that what the laws are regarding polyamory and regarding polygamy in your particular state monogamish is when a couple is primarily monogamous but allows varying degrees of intimate contact with others. Rules structuring these external contacts vary by couple. Some allow one-night stands or specific kinds of activity, such as kissing or groping but no intercourse or whatever they decide is okay. And others have time limitations, such as it's fine if you chat with this person for a week or two weeks. Or you even go out and date for two weeks, but no more than two weeks because then you start catching feelings and it gets ugly. Those are the things that have to be negotiated ahead of time. This is not something that, you know, halfway in you start going, okay, well, let's see about boundaries. As the relationship forms, as this polyamorous relationship forms, the contract may need to be renegotiated as, as you work through. But it's important to have the discussion ahead of time. Swinging is when committed couples consensually exchange partners specifically for sexual purposes. So it's not about love. It's not about forming a loving relationship, which which is what poly relationships are about. They're about forming a relationship to be there for one another and be consistent and loyal and all that stuff. Swinging is about consensual partner exchange. It's a physical thing. And then relationship anarchy seeks to eliminate specific distinctions between hierarchical valuations of friendships versus love-based relationships so that love-based relationships are no more valuable than platonic friendships or sex-based relationships are no more valuable than emotional relationships, if you want to put it that way. And if you Google relationship anarchy, there are really cool diagrams out there that can let you see all the different possible permutations that people can get into in a, in, in today's society, in relationships. Polyamorous individuals, in one study they surveyed about a thousand people and they completed online measures of need fulfillment, relationship satisfaction, and commitment for two or more concurrent romantic partners. Participants reported high levels of need fulfillment and satisfaction in both relationships. Findings suggest that polyamorous relationships are relatively independent of one another. So if John is in a relationship with Mary and Tom, he may or may not, you know, be having great relationships with both of them. But if he starts having problems in his relationship with Mary, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start having problems in his relationship with Tom. General trends in the research reviewed suggest that consensual non monogamists have similar psychological well being and relationship quality as monogamists. And in a lot of cases, when I was looking through the research, especially with the primary, in the primary relationship, the contentment in the relationship seemed to be better because there was so much more communication that there was a lot more trust that was built. There were no significant differences between ratings of monogamous and primary partners in overall relationship satisfaction. Monogamous participants report less satisfaction with the amount of communication and openness they had with their partner compared to consensual non-monogamous participants report of their primary partner, but not their secondary partner. Again, underscoring what I just said, that in consensual non-monogamy, especially if there is a primary and, and secondaries, the communication between the primaries tends to be so much more open that there's a lot more communication satisfaction in that relationship than in traditional monogamous relationships or sometimes with secondaries. By comparison, consensual non-monogamous participants reported higher overall relationship satisfaction with primary their primary relationship compared to their secondary partners, and considered their primary partner to be more desirable as a long-term mate than their secondary partner. That was also in the archives of sexual behavior. That's just kind of giving you a little bit of an idea about mental health and psychological adjustment. People in polyamorous relationships are just as well adjusted according to the to the research as anyone else we don't want to necessarily start imposing values on them because they're not adhering to a mononormative relationship structure. Practice issues come up for a lot of us, and I was trained, you know, 20-some-odd years ago, so this wasn't nearly as prevalent back then. But even today, talking to clinicians who just recently completed training, there is very little, if any, coverage of alternate relationship structures, and to a certain, in some cases, not even much coverage of differences in sexual orientation. Training disparities have been identified because a lot of programs give deference to monogamous relationships as being normal, which is termed mononormativity. Polyamory, as I said before, is legal. Does not necessarily involve marriage, because in a lot of states, it is illegal to be polygamous and can be structured in many different ways. Franklin and Delameter pointed out that researchers and the public often equate extramarital intimacy or sex with infidelity, yet these constructs are not the same. In consensual non-monogamy, the people are not being unfaithful. They are not engaging in infidelity. They are in a very open discussion about what's going on and wanting each other to be happy and fulfilled. Helping professionals who assume that monogamy is the only healthy relationship may unintentionally cause serious harm to clients by increasing stigma and shame and reducing openness to discussing actual problems, especially if those problems stem, at least in part, from their consensual non-monogamy. But even if it doesn't, in a polyamorous relationship, because all of the people in the relationship are said to be there for one another, that's your client's support system so if your client feels ashamed or apprehensive about discussing who is in their close network and how those people fit in then it's gonna be harder to really develop a good recovery or relapse prevention plan the clinician cannot assume that an individual presenting as a patient maintains a monogamy valued view of his or her intimate relationship it's just not how it is anymore People are really starting to explore consensual non-monogamy, open relationships, people are getting married later. We need to be aware of that and open to the fact that that may present in our office and that relationship structure may work best for that particular person. Patients may experience conflict between the cultural monogamous ideal and their actual sexual or relationship behaviors. This conflict may be critical in understanding a patient's sexual or relationship concerns and presenting issues in treatment planning. If they are in a polyamorous relationship and maybe they're having some difficulties with one of their secondaries, that it, and that secondary is very important to their, their other primary, you know, you've got to look at what the effects are of this triad, if you will, if that is a um, if that is a concern. For example, if John and Sheila are married and then they decide to start a polyamorous relationship and they have two other secondaries come in and Sheila's secondary is named Jim. And if Sheila and Jim are getting along fine, but John and Jim are having a lot of conflict for some reason, then it may be important to have a family counseling session to figure out what's going on in that dynamic. Common therapeutic issues when you're working with polyamorous families. Inadequate communication among all partners. This is especially true if all of the partners don't live in the same household. If you live in the same household and you're having dinner together or something every night, then it's a lot easier to have open communication. If you have people that are living elsewhere, then communication can be difficult. One thing that can be used is Skyping, for example, if you want to have a weekly family meeting and everybody has to be in attendance, either physically or via Skype. There can be feelings of guilt about its lifestyle and its effect on others. Some people have been raised in a very traditional, conservative lifestyle and they feel guilty about engaging in something that is not the biblically sanctioned, mononormative relationship. They may also feel guilty because they have needs that their partner can't meet, and they're not happy not getting those needs met. So they want to go out and get those needs met, but they also may feel guilty if their partner feels jealous or hurt in any way, which is why communication is so important. There can obviously be feelings of possessiveness and jealousy. And that is in the more than two website. He goes over a lot of that how to avoid jealousy, how to deal with jealousy. There can be discrepancy between intellectual and emotional liberation. In theory, a polyamorous relationship might sound absolutely wonderful. When doing it, it the heart might not follow quite as well. There can be disapproval from significant others. There was, well, I'll get down to that in a minute. There can be disapproval from religion. There can be a strain from keeping the secret. There is a lot of discrimination against people who are in polyamorous relationships. There are a lot of assumptions that are made, and so if you're in a poly relationship and your kids having trouble at school and you get called to school, you know there may be some eyebrows that are raised if two dads show up or the whole family shows up or whatever it is. There can be lack of an external support group because a lot of poly families have difficulty connecting with other poly families. Now that's getting a lot easier with, there are certain websites out there including Meetup that actually have meetups for polyamorous people to connect with one another, not necessarily as a dating or hookup sort of thing, but to provide support for one another since it is a non-standard relationship structure. And there can be legal ramifications. For example, in 1999, there was a child that was removed from his parents, his biological parents, by his grandparents, because his biological parents were living in a polyamorous relationship structure, and the grandparents thought that to be immoral, so they took the parents to court, and in this particular case, the grandparents were victorious and the children were removed from their parents and the polyamorous relationship. Other therapeutic issues, and I'm getting to your question, John, as soon as, I think it's two more slides. Common therapeutic issues. During the holidays, if you're in a polyamorous relationship, who's your plus one? Who goes with you to the office Christmas party? One person, or do you try to get a plus two, or how does that work? And if you show up with a different plus one each time, How does that work? There can also be minimization of uh, the importance of other relationships. Minimization of the importance of the secondaries, but also minimization of the importance of relationships outside of the polyamorous structure. It is still important to have friendships. There can be therapeutic issues when there's a hierarchical poly. A couple starts out, and then they start dating, one of them starts dating somebody, and Figuring out how to bring that person into the family and how that will work and negotiating those boundaries May be difficult There's something called new relationship energy that is also a problem when You fell in love or when you were dating and I think this is true for most of us the first three to six months you were just kind of on cloud nine. Your head was in the clouds, you were happy, you were giddy, you were all this kind of stuff. And then when things started to settle down and life became more real, you got into, the, got into a routine. In poly relationships, when a new person comes into the family, that new relationship energy can exist between the new person and the primary and even the new person and some of the secondaries. But that new relationship energy wears off. During the period where there's new relationship energy, or NRE, the people who were already in the family may feel neglected, jealous. Think about it when, well, you know how that goes. Dealing with breakups can be difficult because this is a family and everybody is there for one another. So when one person leaves the family, it's not just Jane's secondary John. Is leaving John was part of the family and it's going to affect everybody else because everybody else had some level of an emotional connection with John power dynamics can be an issue as well as child rearing another issue that comes up is judgments judgments don't only affect the adults in a polyamorous relationship but it can seep to their children and there was a researcher at Deakin University in Australia who's done extensive research looking into the well-being of children in poly families. She says the main issue is what's referred to as the deficit model. This simply means that outsiders believe that children are affected by their parents' lifestyle in a negative way. The assumption is made that this is harmful to children. Therefore, the outsiders treat the children like there is something wrong, or something wrong with their family, which stigmatizes the children and instead of empowering them. In poly relationships, however, the children see the whole gamut of family, of living in a family because they've got multiple moms and, you know, or multiple dads or both or who knows. And that is, I mean, everybody gets up. Everybody takes a shower and eats breakfast and gets ready for work and packs lunches and it's very normal it is very run-of-the-mill stuff children aren't seeing you know generally things you wouldn't expect in any household every morning or every evening many people think that polyamory is all about orgies and that's really hard for kids because that's not what it's about there's we'll get to that in myths so when you're working with a couple or a triad or something, and the poly conversation happens. One pr- partner brings it up and says, I think I'm polyamorous, or I want to be in a polyamorous relationship. This may force the participants to explore the needs that are not being met in the current relationship. And a lot of this comes from what professionals should know about polyamory, which is in your class. Matters often taken for granted in monogamy typically require specific processing in poly relationships. For example time and resources how much should be expended on whom generally in a standard monogamous relationship there's an assumption about how much time one partner spends on the other but when there's a poly relationship time needs to be divided and there needs to be a discussion about who's going to do what when and this also applies to child rearing and housekeeping and everything else instead of assuming that something's going to get done there are blatant discussions in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page. There are discussions about sex, which, believe it or not, doesn't happen in a lot of monogamous relationships. That's just kind of one of those things you feel your way through. In a poly relationship, the discussions talk about what type of sex is acceptable, you know, what type of sex is wanted, with whom and under what circumstances. Can there be casual sex? Can there be party sex? Is BDSM okay? Is it okay if the primaries, if one of the primaries isn't into BDSM, is it okay for the other primary to go to a dungeon and explore BDSM fantasies and then come back home? Is that okay because the other primary partner has no interest in BDSM? What's okay? Okay there are a lot of discussions about safer sex, including contraception and preventing STDs and all of that other stuff, where in a lot of traditional monogamous relationships, there may be a little bit of a discussion or an assumption that somebody's taking care of contraception or that, you know, after the third kid, you're going to get your tubes tied or whatever the case may be. I've heard a lot of different... Assumptions that were made in relationships at the beginning of the relationship. There are a lot of discussions about this Disclosure how much sexual or emotional disclosure about about what's going on with other partners is desired Some partners really want to know a fair amount about You know what happened when you were on your outing or what did you two do last weekend? Other partners just don't want to know as long as we're good. I don't care what happens out there And there's everything in between. So it's important that each person is able to articulate how much information they really want and how much information they can get. This is one of those areas that's often going to need to be renegotiated as people embrace a polyamorous lifestyle because they may not know at the very beginning. They may think, I want to know everything. And the first time they hear everything, they're like, okay, that was way too much information or vice versa. And under what circumstances does disclosure take place and at what stage of the relationship? So, if you're in a polyamorous relationship and your primary goes out with the girls for, you know, Friday night or whatever, and she meets somebody and they get along and they start texting, do you want to know then? Or do you not want to know until they schedule an actual date? Or do they, you not want to know until they've been out a few times and. Your primary thinks that this might be somebody they want to invite in. At what point do you want to know about your primary's other relationships? Relating to other partners is also a topic of discussion. To what extent will partners be required? Like I said, not all poly relationships cohabitate under the same roof. So there may be a lot of people that are living elsewhere especially in that situation where one partner is traveling 6 months or 8 months out of the year or whatever so at what point does do all the people need to meet to what extent do they need to meet do they need to just talk on the phone Skype with one another do the, we all need to have dinner or does everybody need to be dating everybody else what feels comfortable for that relationship And will the new person be required to meet all the other people in the poly relationship before sex occurs? At what point is this person introduced to the family? Belongings and personal space considerations, such as can your lover wear my bathrobe? Or is it okay if I have sex with my lover in our bed? Those are conversations that may need to happen. Integrating new partners with family and friends. If you're going to do it, when and how? If you have a new partner, especially one that is cohabitating, but maybe just one that is really involved within the family and you have a 4th of July cookout, how are you going to introduce that person to your family and friends who come over for the cookout? There are issues of attaining relative equivalence in extra didactic relationships. In order to reduce the hierarchical structure, some people try to figure out how to maintain relative equivalence between all partners. And who has veto power? Who has the right to say no to a partner's choice of another? And must some rationale be offered? This is a big issue. If one partner has strong reservations about a new person joining the relationship, or if one partner has strong reservations about somebody who's already in the family, then can that partner say, this is not healthy for our family, and I think that person needs to go. And if that said, does everybody have to follow it? Is it voted on? How does this happen? We've all worked with families where there's been, you know, the family's been going along hunky-dory and then something happens and somebody develops a drug or alcohol problem or something else happens and they become toxic to the family unit. So who has veto power and for what reasons? So let's talk about some polyamory myths real quick. Polyamory is mostly about having a lot of sex. That is the first myth. Many polyamorous relationships are an extended support network where some, but not all of the connections involve a sexual component. We need to wrap our heads around that. Not all of the connections will involve a sexual component. Some of them are purely intellectual. Some of them may be purely emotional. All of the connections have a deep love and respect for one another, though. They see each other as very valuable human beings and respect one another's boundaries, feelings, wishes, yada, yada. Some people get into polyamory because they're interested in a romantic relationship without sex. There are a lot of people in the polyamorous community who identify as asexual, my my term uh, that I plugged into this, but don't want to force their partners to be celibate. Pretty self-explanatory. Myth number two, polyamory is for people who don't want to commit. Mononormative society says that we should direct most of our attention, affection, and love toward one significant other so we're not spread too thin. And I already made the argument. I'll make it again. Nobody bats an eye when people have multiple children saying, you need to direct all your attention to that one child or there won't be enough love to go around. There is enough love. And many countries and cultures already embrace polyamory. People in a polyamorous relationship may not live together or be married, but the key to the success of the relationship is that every person in the relationship is there for everyone else. Some may be there intellectually, others emotionally, others physically, or some combination. Every person has a different role in that functioning system myth number three polyamory can never really work because humans are jealous by nature and yeah we are jealous critters and there is jealousy but people in these relationships learn to respond to feelings of jealousy by investigating them with mindful curiosity by looking at it and going what is it about this situation is causing me to feel jealous and i always phrase jealousy as Anger at another person for having something that you want, or anger at yourself because you don't have something. And when you look at it like that, it's about having something, then you come back and ask that question again, in this relationship, what is it that this other person has that I want, and why is that making me feel insecure? Jealousy usually results from poor communication, not talking about fears or concerns, especially as they may relate to prior abandonment or trauma issues. I'm not saying everybody in a polyamorous relationship has abandonment or trauma issues. I'm saying that those issues are just flat common in your everyday population. And if people have concerns about abandonment, if they believe that everybody always leaves, then it is easier For them to feel jealous and that can be an issue that comes up in counseling where they recognize that intellectually they realize that everything's on the up and up and that person's there for them and yada yada but emotionally they're just they're feeling all torn up inside so they may need to process that. Because other people are involved, there's often what's called a sexual bureaucracy, characterized by contracts and explicit agreements, which can help dissipate some of the jealousy. We've agreed what's going to happen. And so you know that before we move to this stage, that these things are going to happen. And as long as everybody's following the contracts and the procedures... It can help people feel more secure in a relationship. It is a different mindset, and it does take nearly everybody a second to get into, to wrap their heads around and get used to the rhythm of this new structure. However, for some people, it does work. Poly mistakes. These are mistakes that people in polyamorous relationships make, and he talks about this on than2.com. Don't make assumptions about your partners or your relationship. expectations that your partner has, expectations for the relationship, what the rules are. Don't make assumptions. Ask. Write it down. Get it clarified. Even if it seems like a silly question, it's better to ask and have that open communication than assume and assume wrong. Consider the unintended and intended consequences of your actions. Like we were talking about before, if there is a toxic party in the polyamorous family, if you decide that this person needs to leave. The intended consequences are to remove the toxic person from the family. The unintended consequences could be the emotional and other um, reverberations, that's not the word I'm looking for, um, impact on everyone else in the poly family. There are, you're not living in a vacuum. You never live in a vacuum. So it's important to consider, okay, you can get, your way with this thing you can make this happen but what are going what's going to be the fallout from it don't try to manage the feelings of your partner or yourself the example he gave was you can have sex but not feelings can you really go into a relationship or go into an interaction with somebody and tell yourself okay i can have sex with this person but i won't catch feelings i i won't do it maybe some people can but a lot of people can't Don't expect relationships among all parties to be the same. Having the exact same relationship with every person isn't going to happen. Think about all your friends you have right now. I know I have a couple of different best friends, and my relationship with those people are very, very different. And how much time I spend with them, how I interact with them, what we talk about, they're very different. They're both my best friends, and I love them dearly and in a polyamorous relationship the same thing is true whereas you may enjoy doing certain things with one person you may enjoy doing other things with another and it's going to be important to look at how everybody enjoys one another don't start a new relationship if the existing one is having problems if the existing one is having problems bringing somebody new in to fill a hole probably isn't going to work if you think about a a leaky water pipe. If you just put your finger in it, the pressure may build up somewhere else and it may crack down the line. You need to fix the the water pressure first, figure out what's wrong, and then decide if poly works for you. A lot of people before they embark on a polyamorous adventure, relationship structure, whatever you wanna call it, do seek counseling first to see, is this something we want? Is this a way to, for both of us to be happy and maintain our relationship, or are we just trying to plug a hole? Be careful when getting involved with a person new to the lifestyle until they figure out what poly arrangements feel right to them. Some people may get involved and go, okay, not sure, this, this feels odd, or they may be all in and then they get into it and they start having really strong feelings of possession and jealousy and they're not able to handle the polyamorous structure. People need to figure out what works for them. Communicate openly and directly and don't rely on relayed information. Again, especially true if not everybody lives in the same household where you can have a nightly meeting or a weekly meeting. I really encourage people to engage, even if it's a mononormative family or a polyamorous family. I encourage families to have a weekly meeting. If you can't have dinner every day, okay. But at least once a week, everybody needs to sit down and chat and see who's doing what and how everybody's feeling and if there are any problems and yada, yada, yada. That's just good housekeeping. There are a variety of reasons people engage in polyamorous relationships. According to Psychology Today, approximately 4% or 9.8 million Americans are engaging in some form of polyamorous relationship. As many as 83% of societies around the world allow polygamy. A polyamorous structure does have unique challenges and benefits. And it's important for us as clinicians to remember that polyamorous relationships are not always about sex. They are about dedication and commitment to multiple people and being there for one another and diane points out that it might be difficult to enter a relationship as a secondary possibly more so than a primary and certainly that can be true if it's especially if it's an established primary you know people who've been married for 10 years or have been together for 10 years (laughs) coming in as a new person you obviously don't have that same level of connection and it takes a while to balance balance things out. What other questions do you have? I'll tell you about some resources while you think about any questions and, and type them in the chat room. Um, I told you already that one of the best things to look at is what professionals should know about Polyamory by Jerry Weitzman. Great primer, it's not long, it's like 78 pages, super easy read. The resources from morethan2.com, There are several in there, Polyamory 101, Practical Jealousy Management, Relationships Suck, a a handy PDF guide about how to make sure your relationships will fail miserably, i.e. what not to do, and then what is polyamory, that's kind of an academic primer. One article, Perceptions of Primary and Secondary Relationships in Poly, and another website I found, It's called Relationship as opposed to relationship. Threlationship.com, and they talk about Polyamory 101 as well. So you can get different perspectives on what polyamory is, can be, and is not. You can also go on Amazon, and there are a lot of books available on Kindle. If you want to just get it in Amazon Unlimited, read it for free on polyamory. The ethical slut has been identified as a good resource and I have recommendations about that one. If one partner brings up polyamory and the other partner straight away rejects it, then that's going to be a conversation for the relationship. And like I said in the presentation, when that conversation comes up, this is often when couples have to start talking about what needs are you not getting met? And all the stuff that hasn't been talked about or has been swept under the rug has to come out. And what is making this person or prompting this person to want to engage in a polyamorous relationship? That needs to come out so the other partner can hear and digest and they can start negotiating and talking about how to make their relationship work. Because obviously one partner is not happy how can they make their relationship work in a way that's meaningful for them. Poly may not be it. I'm working with one couple right now where the one partner is very orthodox religious and is not okay with anything but mononormative heterosexual marriage. And the other partner is very open to poly. It does come up. And because of cultural and religious beliefs, sometimes that's not going to work for a couple. And it's a matter of figuring out how to help that couple structure their relationship in a way that both people can be happy if that's even possible. Um, Allison asks about the... Trends in cultural or ethnic groups regarding polyamory. It seems to be increasing overall, but I was wondering about the breakdown. I did not find any breakdowns when I was doing the research. I will go back and look and see what I can find, and I will post it in your classroom this afternoon if if I can find anything. When a culture dictates one husband and multiple wives and there is not a choice, is this true polyamory? I don't know the answer to that. My gut reaction would be to say no. However, people in that culture may say yes. People in that culture may say everybody loves one another and that's just the way it is and it's always been accepted. Where a couple lives, Carol points out, where a couple lives can also affect their relationship. Living in a small town can complicate a polyamorous relationship. That's very, very true. If you're in a poly relationship in a small town and you go out on a date with your secondary, people will see you and there will be chatter. Unfortunately, people like to chatter. So it is more difficult potentially in a small town, especially in a small town that may be more conservative leaning. Brett asks, how detailed do contracts become and what's most important to cover in a contract? Wow, that could be an entire class on its, in itself. Contracts can become pretty detailed. It depends on the people. I've never seen a contract less than two pages, but you know, I've also seen them a little bit longer. And as more people are brought into the relationship, it can get a little bit longer. Typically, it doesn't get super lengthy. It's not like buying a house or something. Um, Typically, two to five pages, I would say. And that covers everything from financial responsibilities and if we all buy a house together, what happens if somebody leaves? Sometimes polyamorous couples or families will set up their family as a business and then that business will buy the house and each person in the family is issued shares. And if somebody leaves the family, then they can cash out their shares of the company in order to be divested from responsibility for the house. There are a lot of financial issues that need to be worked out if it's going to be a, especially a cohabitating polyamorous relationship. And And I would agree with John. I think this type of relationship can be difficult for kids in a rural area, but also in a suburban area. Maybe not so much in a in an urban area. However, I think a lot more of it has to do in not so much with urban, rural, suburban, but with the culture of that locale. For example, I live in Metro Nashville, and Metro Nashville is pretty open-minded. But when you get out into the more rural areas, it's much, much more conservative. There are other places throughout the country that are, much more open-minded. So it's about finding a place that you feel comfortable and you feel accepted. All righty, everybody. Thank you for all the discussion. I really enjoyed um, the the, the questions and, and talking. And I will look up and see if there are any cultural breakdowns on the upswing of polyamory. And I'll put that in your classroom before the end of the day. And I will see you guys. Now, remember, we do have another class tomorrow since today was the makeup for yesterday. Um, we do have another class to, uh, tomorrow, and it's actually on attachment theory. All righty, everybody. Have a wonderful day. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at com slash